Now, if the Genesis account in the Bible is true, shouldn't there be evidence to support it? Why does the evidence always seem to support evolution? Today on Creation Magazine Live. The Bible really is true, and it's supported by science and the things we see in the world around us. Keep listening to find out how. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. I'm Calvin Smith. And I'm Richard Fangrad. You know, evolutionists, they often define science in, in a way that actually omits the possibility of creation being true. Because the question we're here to, to, to talk about today is, why does the evidence always seem to, to support evo- <laughs> evolution? how that is, yes. Yeah, I mean, everywhere you go, it's school system, everything. I've had people say that, but, but if, you know, if evolution isn't true, how come there's so much overwhelming evidence for it? Well, here's the first thing. If you define science in a way that omits creation, guess what? It's always going to point to evolution. Yes. Here's uh, Roger Lewontin from uh, uh, from Harvard. Richard. Says, uh, 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 Richard, yes, Richard Lewontin. That's yeah. just my name. I yeah, should have got name. that. Uh, our willingness to accept scientific claims that are co- that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent <laughs> absurdity of many of its constructs, in spite of its failure, failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have an a priori commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation for the phenomenal world, but, on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute. For we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Right. That's a mouthful. There's a mouthful, but it, you basically break it down this way. I don't care what the evidence is. It's going to point to material, uh, methodological naturalism. This is, this is all it is. It's just... Naturalism is, is because we're not going to allow God, and that's, that's it. You right. know? And, and, and this idea has a, has a real long history. You know, uh, James Hutton, he's the guy who kind of re-kicked and restarted the idea of millions of years. Um, look at what he said. Now, this, this was... This was actually before he'd examined the, the evidence from geology to a great degree, but he said this, the past history of our globe must be explained, must be explained by what we uh, can be seen to be happening now. No powers are to be employed that are not natural to the globe, no action to be admitted except of those which we know the principle. So he wrote that before he'd actually looked at the evidence. Well, yeah. you're already excluding many, many things there. And scientists often believe something before they find evidence for it. For example, uh, in this quote here by Boyce Renzenberger, he says, at this point it is necessary to reveal a little inside information <laughs> yeah, about how scientists work, something the textbooks don't usually tell you. The fact is that scientists are not really as objective and dispassionate in their work as they would like you to think. Most scientists first get their ideas about how the world works, not through rigorously logical processes, but through hunches and wild guesses. As individuals, they often come to believe something to be true long before they assemble the hard evidence that will convince somebody else that it, that it is. Motivated by faith in his own ideas and a desire for acceptance by his peers, a scientist will labor for years, 
knowing in his heart that his theory is correct, but devising experiment after experiment whose results he hopes will support his position. Look what he says. <laughs> they start with faith. Motivated by their own faith. They've got their own faith. It's not science versus faith. They've got their own faith. Even atheistic evolutionist Isaac Asimov, a very brilliant man, but look what he said. He said, I have faith and belief myself. I believe that the universe is comprehensible within the bounds of natural law and that the human brain can discover those natural laws and comprehend the universe. I believe that nothing beyond those natural laws is needed. I have no evidence for this. It's simply what I have faith in and what I believe. Interesting, isn't it? So quote after quote of faith, belief comes first, then comes the science behind it. Interesting. Um, S.C. Todd, an immunologist at Kansas State University, summed it up perfectly when he said, even if all the data point to an intelligent designer, such an hypothesis is is excluded from science because it's not naturalistic. (laughs) I, I guess we can say, yes, it would be excluded from science because science involves observation and natural laws and so on. Right. But, but they're talking about evolution. Right. They're equating science and evolution and exactly. saying, well, it's ex- excluded from, uh, from, from science. What they mean is evolution. So point number one, why does it always point to evolution? Because there's a massive bias against, it, uh, against creation. In this segment, what I'd like to do is dispel the myth that evolution is a fact, and, it, and it's just you know, too strong to argue uh, against. Yes, we've got a, a, a Richard Dawkins is a great writer, but sometimes when he's speaking, he uh, uh, says some very interesting things. Here's one of our favorite Dawkins quotes here. Uh, Bill Moyers, he was interviewed on the show that the, the uh, interviewer asked him, uh, is evolution a theory, not a fact? Dawkins' response is, evolution has been observed, it's just that it hasn't been observed while it's happening. Right. Now... <laughs> I use this quote a lot, and you can see people's jaws drop, especially skeptics, and they they look at you, and sometimes people have wanted to challenge me, well, that's not what he really meant, or whatever. But you can go and look up the transcript. This is fully in context, what Dawkins said here. I mean, he didn't just oopsie or something like that. He's, you know, his belief in evolution is so strong that he sees evolution everywhere, right? But he, he, but he admits it hasn't been observed while it's happening, which means it's not observable science. It's not empirical science. So, I mean, this quote has caused Dawkins great pain, right? As yes. People like us yep. repeat it. So he was actually on a show called The Genius of Charles Darwin a couple years later. In my opinion, he was probably trying to do some damage control on this one because even a lot of skeptics have been, uh, been upset by this one. And, but this is what he had, and this time he scripted it out. He had a chance to think about this. It wasn't just off the cuff. He said, nobody has actually seen evolution take place over a long period, which means he's just reiterated what he said the first time. Nobody's seen it. But they have seen the after effects, and the after effects are massively supported. And then he said it's like a case in a court of law where nobody can actually stand up and say, I saw the murder happen which is now for the third time he's admitted you can't see it. He just keeps saying it. But see what he says? But millions and millions of pieces of evidence, they they all point to evolution. No reasonable person can dispute that. But see, he used a courtroom analogy. And I like to point this out to people. You know, if we went to see the local court proceedings and and there there was the facts and and you got this, you know, adversarial system. So you got the the prosecutor, you got the defense, let's say. Every time the prosecution went to talk about the facts, everybody just sat there and listened to them. Every time the defense tried to mount a defense, no, you, you can't say anything. Yeah. And they got muzzled. Well, what kind of court system would that be? It'd be a joke. Yeah, kangaroo court. And, 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 you know, in Canada, we can only speak for our own country, although we get data from other countries. The official curriculum in Canada, the, the only way they explain origins to kids is one way, evolution. Yes. So you can't even mention creation. You can't even, uh, they don't even bring that up. 
the defense never gets a chance to talk about the facts. So no wonder people just believe in, in evolution. Right. And far from the facts screaming evolution, the most natural way of often interpreting the data would seem to run counter to this notion of millions of years of uh, slow and gradual accumulation and so on. For example, Stephen Jay Gould, a famous uh, scientist from Harvard years ago, an said evolutionist. this. An, an evolutionist, yes, of course. The absence of fossil evidence for intermediate stages between major transitions in organic design, indeed our inability, even in our imagination, to construct functional intermediates in many cases has been a persistent and nagging problem for gradualistic accounts of evolution. Yeah, so here he admits that when you look at the fossil record, we don't see those gradual changes and stuff like that um, in things. And so what's interesting about Gould is he was, a, he was an atheist, an evolutionist. Sure. He admitted, yep. no, the fossils don't uh, point to evolution. Um, and, and he continued, said, the extreme rarity of transitional forms in the fossil record persists as the trade secret of paleontology, as in, hey, there's a bunch of people out there saying that, oh, the fossils prove evolution, but they don't. So he admits right. this. But what did he do? Did he abandon his faith in, uh, in, in evolution? No, he came well, up with a, a concept called punctuated equilibrium, which was a new yes. way to evolve things, which said, you know, creatures stay the same for millions of years, and then they evolve so quickly, there's no fossil evidence There's no for preservation. It. In the, yeah. But even yeah. he, he was probably the most honest atheist and skeptic I've ever seen in, in terms of his, you know, talking about science, right? Yeah. But he admitted his faith uh, in gradual evolution. He, yeah. he said this, the idea of punctuated equilibria is just as much a preconceived picture as that of phyletic gradualism. Mm -hmm. We readily admit our bias toward it and urge readers in the, in the ensuing discussion to remember that our interpretations are as colored by our preconceptions as are the claims of the champions of phyletic gradualism by theirs. Right. So <laughs> here we see these admissions when you really dig deep into the philosophy of these men. And he was very honest. And a lot of times people won't be that honest with, with the evidence. But he's saying, listen, I've got a faith. I've got a belief. Yes. Even if the evidence yep. doesn't back it up, I'm going to come up with a new way of explaining it. Yes. But, you know, evolutionists often claim that creationists, you know, we just ignore scientific evidence, uh, you know, in, in favor of evolution because we just believe the Bible. So we're willing to just ignore, you know, stuff and turn a blind eye. and we're, It's just a blind faith. You know, but the fact that is, if you watch the last segment, we, we've shown, for example, in the case of Gould. Right. You know. Evolutionists, you know, often say, well, you know, we're open to reinterpreting evidence. If we get new facts, we'll change our mind. But you creationists, you just stick to your Bible story. Yeah. But wait, we're open to changing our, our ideas about things too. See, everybody sticks to the basic premise. An evolutionist isn't willing to give up the concept of evolution happening somehow. Over millions of years. They yeah. might be, oh, well, maybe there's different ways that it could have happened. But they're not going to give up on evolution in millions of years as an atheist. There's no way they can do that. So right. we, yeah. we need to be honest about that. In the 90s, there was a book on geology that came out by, by an anti-creationist, uh, Derek Ager. And uh, he, he postulated neocatastrophism against gradualism. Neocatastrophism is that the layers of rock weren't laid down gradually over millions of years, there was a catastrophe that laid down layers, and then there was millions of years of nothing that happened, and then a catastrophe that happened. And so the and evidence... this countermanded what, what had commonly been taught, that it's slow sedimentation over millions of years building up gradually. Right, right. right. And so, and, and he, he said this in his book, he said, if one estimates the total thickness of the British coal measures as about 1,000 meters laid down in about 10 million years, then assuming a constant rate of sedimentation, it would have taken 100,000 years to bury a tree 10 meters high, which is ridiculous. 
And that's what creationists had been saying for years. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He goes on, he says, we cannot escape the conclusion that sedimentation was at times very rapid. Indeed, and at other times, there were long breaks in sedimentation, though it looks both uniform and continuous. Now, look at what he just said. It looks uniform and continuous, right. but we know that... That there's millions of years somewhere. Somewhere. Even though we can't see it. But it's not based on evidence, <laughs> right? You know, evolutionists uh, uh, often know things despite the evidence. Um, Dr. Ralph Molner, he's on Discovery Channel, and he's talking about this extinct lizard called Megalania. Right? Okay. And he's got his bone in his hand, you know, and he's talking about it. And, and this is what he said. I want you to notice the difference between what he says, he believes, but what he's observing. Right? He says... This specimen actually looks like it had come from an animal that looks like it died two or three hundred years ago. Mm. All dry, chalky, this sort of thing. Doesn't actually mean it died two or three hundred years ago. In Montana, I've seen dinosaur bones that look like they've come from animals that died two or three hundred years ago. I know very well that they died much longer than that. It gives a suggestion that Megalania may have been alive fairly recently. Here's this scientist. Science is based on observation for the most part. He's observing. It looks really young. But I know. How does he know that? He knows it in his Not mind. from the observations, because it doesn't look millions of years old. Exactly. He, so just like Dawkins, he sees <laughs> evolution, but not when it's happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, often, the obvious conclusion is, uh, is never mentioned. Right. It, Watch. Paul Davies makes a quote here. It's just, just amazing. How did stupid atoms spontaneously write their own software? Nobody knows. <laughs> really? Uh, there is no known law of physics able to create information from nothing. Well, great. There's no known law of physics, so physics didn't do it. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> is that not? Uh, he's almost there. He's almost but not there. Quite. <laughs> but he won't reach that, the natural conclusion. And there is no natural way that we can account for information. No natural way. Yeah. But what way do we know that information can be accounted for? Well, humans can generate it from their brains. They're, so an intelligent yeah. designer can create information. <laughs> I mean, this, this quote, these pixels that you're, you're looking at this quote on our screen or you're, seeing, you're hearing us, all that information, all information, coded information, we know comes from an intelligent mind. But he just walks right over it. Why? Because he's got an a priori commitment to materialism because he won't allow a divine foot in the door. This is what he's admitting, right? Yeah, yeah, previous commitment. Um, yep. I did an article on the website called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Because I found out there was a, a secular group offering a million dollars to anyone who, uh, what um, this group, they're, they're dedicated to finding the answer to what uh, one of their uh, members calls the most pressing question in science, the origin of the genetic instructions on the DNA. And he points out that, you know, genetic instructions don't write themselves any more than a software program writes itself. They're offering yeah. a million bucks yep. for a naturalistic way. Nobody's ever going to get the million. No. Because the only where information comes from is an intelligent mind. You know, since the beginning of the modern evolutionary movement, there's been an effort really to deny the supernatural. Right. Really, that's, yeah. that's the point, right? And revelation from God's word, the Bible, uh, anything like that's just denied. And, and foremost in promoting ideas like that were, were, were started with a fellow, an anti-Christian lawyer named Charles Lyell. And even evolutionists have admitted, yeah, he, he started the ball rolling with, as, with a bias because he started the concept of millions of years, which is required for atheism. Right, yes. Here's what uh, Stephen Jay Gould uh, records, uh, himself an evolutionist, says about Lyell. Charles Lyell was a lawyer by profession, and his book is one of the most brilliant briefs published. 
Lyell relied on two bits of cunning to establish his uniformitarian views as the only true geology. First, he set up a straw man to demolish. In fact, the catastrophists were much more empirically minded than Lyell. The geologic record does seem to require catastrophes. Rocks are fractured and contorted. Whole faunas are wiped out. To circumvent this, the literal appearance, to, to circumvent this literal appearance, Lyell imposed his imagination upon the evidence. The geologic record, he argued, is extremely imperfect, and we must interpolate into it what we can reasonably infer but cannot see. The catastrophists were the hard-nosed empiricists of the day, not the blinded theolo uh, theological apologists. Right. So, okay, at the time when Lyell was coming out with his uniformitarianist theories, there was a group of uh, Christian Bible believers called uh, scriptural, uh, geologists. scriptural geologists, yeah. Yeah. and they looked at the, uh, the, the rocks and they said, well, look at all these things. This is evidence of a catastrophe. Gould admits, yeah, of course, the, 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 if you just look at it, it looks like a catastrophe. But Lyell knew how to argue as a lawyer, and he imposed his vision of millions of years on it, and basically, Lyell's theory has been totally overthrown. Modern geology doesn't—it's neo-catastrophism. Right, right. So you know what the the evidence does point to uh, to what the Bible says, but um, we can see that Lyell reinterpreted what it should have been evident as as uh, you know catastrophes. But Lyell actually revealed his motivation in some of the letters that he wrote. He did. You, you, can, yep. you can actually look at this. Here's Lyell himself from his own words, trying to get portions of uh, the, his his book into a, a science journal, the Quarterly Review. And look what he says to his friend. Now it's in Old English, so you got to kind of read through the, some of the, the stuff. But watch what he says. I trust I shall make my sketch of the progress of geology popular. Old Fleming, Reverend Fleming. Uh, is frightened and thinks the age will not stand my anti-mosaical account uh, conclusions, and at least that the subject will for a time become unpopular and awkward for the clergy. But I'm not afraid. I shall out with the whole thing, but in as conciliatory a manner as possible. What he's saying is, he wanted to reinterpret Genesis. He wanted to add millions of years to the right. historical sketch, yeah. and, and this this uh, reverend he's scared. Uh, maybe people aren't going to you know uh, trust that because it's against the Bible, against Moses. But he's going to do it. He's just going to try to do it in a nice way yeah. so people don't yeah. get upset. He said, "I'm sure you may get into the quarterly review what will free the science from Moses, and if we don't irritate, which I fear that we may, though mere history, we shall carry all with us." If you don't trump over them, but compliment the liberality and candor of the present age, the bishops and the enlightened saints will join us in despising both the ancient and modern physico-theologians. See, there was a, even amongst some of the clergy, there was this, this idea towards naturalism. And he said, we can get them on our right. side and convince yeah. people yeah. the Bible's not true. He said, it's just this time to tr strike. So rejoice that, sinner as you are, the quarterly review is open to you. And then he said in his P.S., I conceived the idea five or six years ago that if ever the mosaic geology could be set down without giving offense, it would be an historical sketch, and you must abstract mine in order to have as little to say as possible yourself. Let them feel it and point to the moral. He said he came up with an idea. If you got rid of Moses, you'd, you'd, you'd take everything down. Yes, right? yeah. and, and, and what moral is he pointing to? Well, yeah. Here in John 5, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not, you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? That's and Jesus that's, speaking. That's Jesus speaking. So yep. Lyle understood it. He had an agenda. 
you get rid of Moses. People don't believe what Moses wrote. They don't believe what Jesus says. Yeah. And this is exactly what, is, what we see now. I'm going to show you a quote from Algis Huxley. You know, and, and, and this man, a very uh, committed atheist, but he was honest in his admission as to why he wanted to accept you know, naturalism, etc. Look what he said. I had motive for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently assumed that it had none and was able to, without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do, or why his friends should not seize political power or, and govern in any way that they find most advantageous to themselves. For myself, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of libera liberation, sexual and political. No meaning, no God to impose any meaning on yeah, anything. Wow. As soon as Make you, you do rules. that, you can do anything you want. That's what he admitted. Yeah. Interesting. Indeed, atheists have a motive for uh, their not wanting to be a God. Far, uh, far from being a neutral worldview, it, it right. is a worldview. It's not a neutral position. Many have uh, been taught that creationism is religious, it's not scientific, and there's been trials over the years. Uh, the famous Dover trials uh, years ago, that was basically where the judge deemed... Uh, based on expert testimony from people like Michael Roos, who testified evolution was based on science. And intelligent and, design. And, and, yeah, the ID movement, oh, that's just, just a version of creationism. It's religious. It has no basis in, in science and so on. However, Roos went on later to say that it's okay to say different things in different contexts. Different audiences. Different audiences and so on. He said this. I mean, I realize that when one is dealing with people, say, at a school level or these sorts of things, certain sorts of arguments are appropriate. But those of us who are academics should recognize that the science side has, a certain, uh, has certain metaphysical assumptions built into doing science, which it may not be a good thing to admit in a court of law. <laughs> but I think that in honesty, that we should recognize and that we should be thinking about some of these sorts of things. Now, he testified at the Dover trials. Evolution science, creationism is, uh, is that's just religious. Religion, yeah. But I'm yeah. going to give you a quote he said years later that actually shocked the evolutionary community. And, <laughs> yes. and his, he actually became very honest in this statement. Look what he says. Evolution is promoted by its practitioners as more than mere science. Evolution is promulgated as an ideology, a secular religion, a full-fledged alternative to Christianity with meaning and morality. I am an ardent evolutionist and an ex-Christian, but I must admit that in this one complaint, and Mr. Gish is but one of the many to make it, he was a creationist, Dr. Gish, the literalists are absolutely right. Evolution is a religion. This was true of evolution in the beginning, and it's true of evolution still today. Evolution, therefore, came into being as a kind of secular ideology, an explicit substitute for Christianity. Now, if it's you amazing. took, if you took those, that quote, and he had said that at the Dover trial, things might have gone very differently. It would have been a completely different trial, because now they're on the same level, right? Right. They're both beliefs. But we need to understand something. If you're an atheist, you have no absolute moral code. Right. I mean, this man lied blatantly. Right? He, he, he professed one thing on a, is sitting there in front of the court, but then he later on admitted, no, 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 evolution, that's, that's a religion. It's a religious way of looking at it, and it's anti-Christian. It was created to circumvent Christianity. Yes. So we can yeah. see, why do, does the evolution, uh, evidence point to uh, evolution? because there's such a huge bias. See you next time.
Creation Magazine Live is a production of Creation Ministries International, the publisher of Creation Magazine and the minds behind Creation.com. If you want to chip in to support our ministry, go to Creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.